Malachi 3, 16 and 17 has a special message for us. And it says, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. And the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before the Lord for them that feared the Lord and thought upon his name. And then it says, They shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts. In that day that I make up my jewels, I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. My, we ought to be telling people how good the Lord is. They may not understand the millennium. I love it. I love the study of the millennium. It's beautiful. But do you know, a man does not have to understand the millennium to be saved. But he does have to know Jesus Christ to be saved. Amen. Let's notice the next one on this beautiful screen. These ladies have done so beautifully for us. Thank you. <laughs> they can't even whisper. We'll keep them busy. John 17, 3. This is life eternal. What is life eternal? Not to understand the millennium, as good as it is. Not to understand the nature of man, the state of the dead, as good as it is. This is life eternal that they might want. Everybody, know thee. The only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou said, John 17, verse 3. Now, the next one I want you to look also at with me. John 16, 24. How in the world are we going to be able to tell people how God's had compassion on us unless we've had some answers to prayer? Right? I was sitting beside a Christian worker some years ago, and you know what she said to me? She said, I've never once had an answer to prayer that I can that I can chalk up as an answer to prayer. Isn't that tragic? Well, friends, I have answers to prayer almost every day. And you can too. And John uh, 16, 24 says, Ask and you will receive, and your what? Your rosy cheeks will be full. Amen. Now, you see, we have an artist here somewhere, because I never saw that till just now. But that's what the Lord is trying to tell us. Ask, ask of the Lord, you'll receive, and then you'll sing, there's joy, joy in serving Jesus. You see? But if we don't find joy in serving Jesus, if somebody uh, uh, seems to be joyful, we'll envy them. We say, they ought to get out of here. We don't want happy people around here. You know, misery likes company. Amen. All right. Your joy will be full. Let's notice the next one, Nancy, if you'd like to. We'll... We're going to stick together tonight. <laughs> now, God gives in answer to prayer what he would not otherwise give. Somebody says, I thought the Lord knew all about me. He does. But we need to ask and get answers so we'll know from when I, whence our answers come. We'll know that it's the Lord that's hearing. The Lord is coming to our rescue. That's why we need to pray and get some answers. All right, one more. James 4, 1 to 3. It says, ye receive not. Why? Because ye what? Ask not. So there's something about asking. The Bible says if we want to receive, ask. The Lord wants us to ask. In that beautiful book, The Great Controversy, page 525, we're told that one of the outstanding reasons why people don't get answers is because God gives an answer to prayer that which he otherwise wouldn't give. We'll turn to that a little bit later so you can see it at the proper time. Now, since the 
joy of life, of the Christian life, the supreme luxury of the Christian life. What's the supreme luxury? The supreme luxury of the Christian life is sharing what Jesus has done for us. Isn't it a shame for a person to have just enough religion to make him miserable? Goes all along through his Christian life saying, I wonder if the first plague is going to hit me. Ow! Oh, how, what a terrible type of Christianity that is. Isn't that right? God doesn't want us to have that kind of Christianity. He wants us to be able to say, I was in trouble. I called on the Lord. He came to my rescue. Amen. So our story begins, and it's, it goes back to 1930. My wife and I were then missionaries in the island of Trinidad. We were holding a series of meetings at one end of the island. It was called San Fernando, the city, the city of San Fernando. We were expecting our first little child, Juanita, Nita for short. The, uh, the city of Port of Spain had some doctors. San Fernando didn't have any doctor that we knew. So the president's wife, Mrs. C.E. Andros, who lived in Port of Spain, she said to my wife, Mrs. Kuhn, since we don't know of any good doctors over at that end of the island, why don't you come here a week or so before the baby is born? Because we know a doctor here, and uh, we figure that it'll be safer for you. So my wife went into Port of Spain a few days before she expected the baby to be born, and she stayed with him for about two weeks. And uh, no baby was born. I was holding the series of meetings the other end of the island, and my wife was getting lonesome, and so was I. So she went to the doctor, and she said, Doctor, do you think I would be safe to take the train and go over to San Fernando? That's 45 miles away. She said, just for a day or two, Oh, he examined her and he said, perfectly safe. So she took the train. It was on a Sunday. <clears throat> and just a little before the meeting started that night, I got a call from the station. She said, I'm down here. I've, I've come from Port of Spain to stay overnight. And I said, wonderful. And it scared me because our car had no spare tire. And I thought, just suppose the child should be born that night. We'd have to rush back 45 miles in those curving roads. And more than that, I was scared because of the four tires that we, we did have, one had a slow leak. And it was Sunday. And I had no way to patch the tire, and there were no stations open. And I said to myself, I didn't tell her, first thing I do in the morning, I'm going to get that, that slow leak repaired, and I'm going to get a spare tire. It would have to be an old spare tire because I didn't have enough money to get a new one. And that night she played the piano for our evangelistic meeting. Oh, it was wonderful. As we retired, I got to see what, see what you're rejoicing over. Oh, isn't that wonderful? I want, we have an artist here, folks. We have a real artist. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> she played the piano that night, and we retired. And as we retired, I thought to myself, I just 
hope everything's all right. First thing in the morning, I'll get that tire fixed. Why, if I should ever have to go tonight with no spare tire, and that tire with a slow leak, why, it would be dangerous. So we retired. That is, we tried to. <laughs> My wife went right to sleep, bless her heart. I found it a little hard to go to sleep. About 1.30, my wife touched me. Honey, I think we better start for Port of Spain. Oh, dear. I picked up the telephone. I called the Androsses, 45 miles distant. And I tried to speak as softly as I could so my wife wouldn't know how scared I was. I said, Mrs. Andros, sorry to call you so late. <laughs> I don't know a thing I said, but I guess that was it. <laughs> but uh, labor pains have started, and we're ready to start, but I did say we're in a lot of trouble. I was afraid that would scare my wife. I said, we have four tires on the car. We don't have a spare. And one of the four tires has a slow leak. She said, we'll meet you. Oh, thank you. Oh, did I try to be diplomatic. <laughs> And all inside, I think there must have been 75 butterflies all in there. And all the butterflies were scared to death. They all tried to get out. So we got up and we dressed and we started. Maybe we traveled uh, 15 minutes on the way and my wife said, she said, my, she said, my, You know, I think, if I can, I think I'm going to try to take your artists with us. I don't know from now on how we can ever function without that. So we, st we started in the car, got about 15 minutes. My wife said, my left hand wants to go up, my left arm. Now I put my hand on her hand, and I drove with my left hand and prayed with my heart. Lord, I don't know what's happening. Went on about 15 minutes, and she said, both hands want to go up. I said, put them together. I put my hand on them, drove with the left hand, and prayed with my heart. We went another about 15 minutes. You know, 45 miles there at that time was like about 100 here. Drove another 15 miles or so, and all at once, both arms went straight up. And she straightened out just like a board there in that seat. Just like that. I drove quickly off the road. There was a disbanded gas station. And I said to the minister in back, my associate, whom I'd asked to go with us in case we got in trouble, I said, right across the road there's a house. Will you go in and ask them if you can use the telephone and call the Androsses and see if they've started? Tell them we're in trouble. He went over and the people were scared for fear maybe he was a highway robber. They wouldn't let him in. He came back. He said, they won't let me in. I thought, what in the world are we going to do? By that time, my wife had settled down. <sighs> but she didn't know me. Way out there from nowhere. Just then, the lights of the Andros' car came. If I was ever thankful for the headlights of a car, 
They drove up next to us, and I just couldn't wait for them to say anything. I picked my wife up bodily, carried her right over, put her right in the back seat of their car, and I told my, asked my associate minister to drive our car following them. I sat in the back seat with my wife, and they headed for, for, for Port of Spain as fast as they could go safely. My wife was groaning, and I was praying. When we got to Port of Spain, if I remember correctly now, I picked her right up, didn't wait for anybody. Picture right up, you know, it's marvelous, the power you have in an emergency. Took her right in the house, and Sister Andros said, here's the bed, put her right there, put her right there in the bed. She called the doctor, in fact, she'd already called the doctor. He, he came just about the same time we did, and he examined my wife, and he was as mad as a hatter. You know what a hatter is? A, a, a hatter gets mad because of the hair, because of the pin in the hat. And he said, what did you call me for this hour of night? It must have been about 3.30 now, maybe. He said, the, she's not ready to give birth to, the, to her child at all. What have you called me for? And he was half drunk beside. And you know, I said to myself, any doctor that would tell my wife to safe to go across the island, how do I know that he's telling us the truth now? And I prayed. Psalm 50, 15, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you glorify me. You see what God wants us to do? He wants us in trouble to call on him. And when he answers, to let men and women know how good the Lord is, not how good we are, how good he is. Oh, that our testimonies would tell how gracious God is and the compassion he has. Amen? And as I was praying, the doctor sat there in the front room, half sleeping. About five minutes later, he got up, went over and examined my wife, and he said, Oh, yes, the child is ready to be born. And I felt like saying, You poor thoroughbred registered nut. But I didn't. You know why? <laughs> I didn't want him to do any worse than he'd done. He said, the child is ready to be born. But he said, it cannot be born normally. I must use instruments. And I thought to myself, that man half drunk, he can kill my child or disfigure that child for life. And I prayed again, Lord, help him not to do that. Father, keep him. I can't trust him. I can't trust that medical doctor at all, half-drunk man. And as I was praying, I said, Doctor, why don't you think the child can be born normally? He said, Your wife is practically unconscious. She can't use the pains. I said, Doctor, maybe she would if I stood up next to her. May I stand up next to her? Do you know, my wife is always called our daughter, my child. She said, You gave birth to that one. <laughs> All the doctor did was just come in there just in time at the close enough to collect his fee. And the child was born normally. You know, isn't the Lord wonderful? But the devil wasn't through. I don't know whether it was five minutes after our child was born or ten minutes. All at once, my wife's arms went up almost like lightning. Her legs the same way. Every muscle in the body was moving as though there was a thousand demons in the body trying to shake her very life out.
And I said, Sister Andros, what in the world is happening? She said, I think it's a convulsion. And then all at once, everything stopped. And we looked into my wife's face, and there was no breath. I said, is she dead? She said, Brother Kuhn, I think so. And a second or two seemed like an hour, you know. And then all at once, oh, that was the sweetest breathing I ever heard in my life. Oh, I said, she isn't, is she? No, she isn't. Just breathed a few breaths, and again, that terrible convulsion. I never dreamed that the human body could be so shaken as though the demons would shake it to pieces, every muscle twitching. My, it was terrible. And again, no breath. Sister Andros, do you think she's dead now? She said, I think she is now. A few seconds passed. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Maybe three minutes passed. Another convulsion. The violence of those convulsions. It doesn't seem possible that there could be so much violence in a human body. And it repeated the same thing. No breath. Seemed like death. And then the heavy breathing. One after another, one after another, one after another. I don't know how long it went on, till nearly, till nearly daybreak. The doctor stayed, came and looked once in a while, walked off. Finally, he told Pastor Andros, he said, there's nothing we can do. She, she's, she's now hopeless. She'll either die, or at least at the least, she'll lose her mind. No hope. Now, it is just almost the breaking of the day. Pastor Andros went to the telephone. I heard him speaking gently, quietly, to one minister in the Port of Spain city, and then another, and another. In about 15 minutes, several of our friends, ministers, walked in very quietly. Walked into the room adjoining my wife, quietly knelt down, and they began to pray. I think it was the sweetest prayer group that I have ever attended in all my life. The prayers went something like this. There was no feverish praying. They went something like this. Dear Lord, you know Brother and Sister Kuhn have but just begun their ministry in this island. If you see that their work isn't done and we don't believe it is, you can restore Sister Kuhn. You can heal her. And Lord, we're asking, I don't know what promise they even claimed, but you can claim, you can heal her, Lord. One after another, oh, it was like music. Don't you thank God for fellowship? As we said the last amen, and I walked over to my wife, she had her last convulsion and has never had one since. Today, today, my wife can remember things that happened back in those days that I can't remember. The doctor said, her mind is gone. God said, I answer prayer. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and then you glorify me. My friends, 
I think it's not merely a duty. I think it's a joy to let men and women know that we have that kind of a Savior. What do you say? I look back at the time that my mother, at the age of 42, was given up to die with valvular leakage of the heart. I was six years old. I remember how Father reached up and took the good old Bible down. He opened it to Malachi, the third chapter, verses 10 to 12, where God said, Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse. Prove me. I will rebuke the devourer. And I remember how Father prayed that God would save my mother. She was 42. And I remember how I prayed. Dear Lord, I said, if you'll save my mother, I'll give you all the money I have. I had $6, either 4 or $6. God healed my mother right on the spot. You know how I know? She lived to be almost 102. A year or two before she died, she said, Glenn, I don't have a single ache nor a pain. <laughs> I said, Mother, wait till you get to be my age. <laughs> and when Mother was so completely restored, I told Father and Mother that I'd promised God I'd give him all the money I had. And Mother said, you didn't need to do that. She was right. And Dad answered, inasmuch though as you did promise it, keep your word. And I gave all the money I had, and somehow the Lord is still taking care of me. Isn't it wonderful how good he is? 31 years ago, it seemed that I would have to cash in my life. It seemed that I was ending my life 31 years ago. I opened the Bible to Jeremiah 33, verse 6. I will bring Glenn Coon health and cure. I will cure Glenn Coon. I will reveal unto Glenn Coon the abundance of peace and truth. And I asked God, and I believed, and I claimed his promise. I said, Lord, if my work isn't done, you're going to heal me now. And I kept thanking him 31 years ago. In 1953, how many years ago was 1953? 24 years ago, as my wife and I were carrying on this traveling ministry, in 1953, our medical doctor told me that I had cancer 23 years ago. He advised that I give up revivals. We reached up to the Lord. We took hold of the promise of, of Isaiah 26, verse 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. As I lay in my bed at midnight and I thought of that awful word, cancer, I, I told the Lord, I said, Lord, your word is more powerful than any disease in the world. And I reviewed from creation down through to my time. I said, at creation, your word spoke the world into existence. <laughs> I said, at, at the Red Sea, your word opened the Red Sea so your children could go through on dry land and closed it on their enemies. At the Jordan, you did it again. You sent the manna. Your word did it. And I traced down through the ages. And I said, in the days of Jesus, I said, Lord, a leper came to you. Matthew 8, verse 2. A leper came to you. And he said, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And you said, I will be thou clean. Your word was stronger, greater, more powerful than leprosy, Lord. And therefore, it's stronger and more powerful than cancer. Thank you, Lord, for healing me. Nine months later, and we never gave up our revival. 
Nine months later, the doctor said there's not a trace of cancer. That was 1953. In 1959, I went back to the doctors, to his nursing home, deathly sick. I heard him tell another doctor that this time the cancer was terminal. 1959, how many years ago? 18 years ago. He said the cancer was terminal. I thank the Lord. The Lord's given me an 18-year term. Praise the Lord. Don't you think we ought to let people know how good the Lord is? He said it's terminal. Little by little I recovered and I claimed the promises of God. And the last 18 years God has helped us to reach thousands of people with a gospel message of what God does and has had compassion. What a wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Savior. What a wonderful Savior to me. This is the kind of a Lord we have. He said, now this is how I want my gospel to be carried. I want you to go home and tell your loved ones how gracious the Lord has been to you, how compassionate he has been. Do you see? As we share the gospel, we don't go around telling people, I'll tell you why I don't do this. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I remember years ago, I decided to have a, a tobacco clinic. Maybe some of you have heard it before. I believe you have. And I decided that I would invite those who wanted victory over tobacco to come in the pastor's study. Also, those to whom God had given deliverance so that those to whom he had given deliverance could bring hope to those who longed for deliverance. So there are about three that had stopped smoking that are there, and about four that wanted to stop, or vice versa. And I turned to one of the men who had stopped smoking, and I said, Brother, I said, will you give your experience of how the Lord has given you victory? And you know how he started? I want to tell you what I did. I made up my mind that I... I thought, oh, Lord, help us all. I? Not I, but Christ. Be honored, loved, exalted. Not I, but Christ. Be seen, be known, be heard. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Where did he get the willpower? Philippians 2, 13. It is God that worketh in you both to will and to do. Any man that has the willpower to stop any habit, he gets that willpower from God, and God should get the credit. And I said, Lord, my tobacco clinic is ended right now. If men and women are going to stand up and boast of what they have done, instead of giving glory where it belongs, God pity us all. What do you say? Whenever you and I tell anybody of God's goodness, let's not give anybody any impression that we deserve it. Jesus said if we do everything that he commands us, we're to still think of ourselves as what? Unprofitable servants. Now, in regard to healing, many people say, what is God's will? Did you know God's, willing, God's will in healing might be uh, illustrated by a circle? Would you like to draw a circle? Thank you. Everything else you've done is so beautiful. We'll give you a little more work to do. A little circle. And will you divide that circle into, into three parts? Thank you. We're thinking of a circle representing God's will in three parts. One-third of this circle represents 
God's original will. God's original will. What was God's original will in regard to our health? Anybody? That all be well, right? No sickness, no death, no pain. That's the one-third. That's the first. Then the last is God's ultimate will. What is God's ultimate will? Revelation 21, 1 to 4. There will be no more pain, no sorrow, no crying, no more death. That's his ultimate will, right? Then between the two is God's permissive will. God permits people to be sick. It's not his original will. It's not his ultimate will. He permits people to be sick. You know why God permits people to be sick? There are many reasons. For instance, suppose a man is on the roof of this church, and he said, I know it's not God's will that I should get hurt, so I'm just going to lie right down and roll right off. God permits him to break his back, let's say, right? Did God want him to break his back? No. But God permitted him to. Why? Because the man ignored the laws of God. So God's permissive will, and there are f several phases to his permissive will, why God permits us to be sick. One is we break some of the laws of God. Don't miss Friday night at 6.30 when we're going to cover 10 steps toward healing. We call it the healing laboratory session. So when we say, what is God's will? God's original will is that all be well. God's ultimate will is that all be well. God does permit some of his children to be sick. Why did God permit uh, Job to be sick? It was the devil cross-questioning. You see, the Bible says we're God's witnesses. You're my witnesses, Isaiah 42, 10 and 12. Every one of us is a witness to the Lord. Amen? Now, after, in a court, by the way, when we witness, what is the great court that we're witnessing? The court of the universe. All the worlds are in the bleachers, listening to our witness, saying the Lord is good. Now, watch. After we witness as to how good the Lord is, the devil says, I have a right to have my day in court. He said, you let me, you let me afflict that man with sickness, and he'll curse you, Lord, to your face. Or you let me afflict him uh, so he loses his, his finances. He'll curse you. He's only serving you for what he can get out of you. And so the Lord says, all right. You can afflict Job, but Job will never turn on me. And God told the truth. Every time that we're afflicted by the devil, that's the devil's day in court. That's the devil's cross-examination. That's why when you and I are afflicted, let us never change our testimony. Let us still say, the Lord is good. The Christ who died on Calvary loves me with an everlasting love. Amen? Never say, I doubt the Lord. Never declare to the world, God isn't answering. Keep the same testimony as the devil afflicts, financially, physically, or in any other area. Let's keep saying, the Lord is good. He is good. He gave Jesus to die for me. Christ is interceding for me tonight in the heavenly sanctuary. I thank the Lord for such a wonderful Savior. Let's never change our testimony. Every once in a while, somebody comes to me and they say, I've prayed for a long while. God doesn't hear me. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. 
See, I've prayed a long while, and the Lord is hearing. I don't understand how, but he is hearing. Amen. A lady came to me, and she said, not anywhere around here. She said, will you pray for my daughter? I said, we'll claim a promise. We knelt down. Lord, I said, I think this is a promise we claim. You've said in Isaiah 49, 25, I will save your children. Lord, thank you now. As our sister conforms to the laws of communication, thank you, you're saving her daughter. And when she started praying, you know how she prayed? I was ashamed of her. Dear Lord, why aren't you doing what you promised? I said, quit it. Quit it. That very prayer is sin. Romans 14, 23. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin, the last part. David said, let their prayer be sin. For you and me to doubt or speak questioning of God is sin. Let's never sin. Let's tell the world no matter what happens to me, the hands that were nailed to Calvary are good hands. The heart that was broken on that tree was a heart of love. And though I cannot trace him, I'll trust him. Though I cannot understand him, I'll believe him and know that he's doing what is right. And at the end, he'll guide me through to glory. Dear Lord in heaven, thank you this evening for the love of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for my companion. I thank you, Lord, that you've extended our, our lives all these years. Oh, Lord, help us everywhere we go to let men and women know that you've had compassion. And Lord, may everyone in the hearing of these words go out and tell men and women how good Jesus is. While our heads are bowed in prayer, while our eyes are closed, every head bowed, thank you, every eye closed, is there someone here that needs physical healing? You'd like the Lord's healing to rest upon you? Would you lift your hand? Dear Lord, thank you now, you've said I'll bring you health and cure. We believe it as you teach us how to comply. Thank you for doing it your way in Jesus. Lower your hands, keep our heads bowed. Is there anyone who came in tonight who would like to accept Jesus as your Savior? He said, I stand at the door and knock. He said, if you confess your sins, I'll forgive you and cleanse you and give you eternal life. How simple it is. Is there someone who's never before given your heart to Jesus and you'd like to say, Lord, come into my life? Just lift your hand and lower it. God bless you. Is there one who was once a Christian and slipped away a little, lost your zeal, and you want God to renew that zeal? Would you lift your hand? Thank you, O Lord. Thank you. You've said you'll heal our backsliding. Hosea 14.4. Thank you for the new start in Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.